Welcome to the show. We are so glad you are here. And helping me to co-host this thing, co-pilot this thing is the one and only Adrian Lawrence. Adrian, how are you doing today? I am doing very well. Thanks so much for having me. Yeah, so glad to have you. Always happy when you're on on Boss. And we're going to cover an array of topics today as we do every single day. First up, new research shows that states with Medicaid have better cancer survival rates. Are we surprised by that? Then we'll discuss the COVID-19 pandemic continues to have impact on us. It rages on. Again, we might be done with COVID. I know we over it, but it ain't done with us. And so we got to continue to be vigilant and continue to push to do what we can to slow the spread. And later in the show, wealth inequality inequality is an all-time high. Yeah, I know I didn't surprise you with that. But don't forget to subscribe, to share, tell your friends and your frenemies. I'm Boston's on that Adrian Lawrence is with me today, baby. Do it right now. Do it. You won't regret yeah, it. Yeah. Yes, Medicaid expansion, not destruction. Now studies show giving people access to healthcare increases their chances of not dying. Isn't that crazy? That whole concept that if you give, if people have healthcare, then they can do some pre things and they just might not die. Yeah, that's crazy. Expanding Medicaid to all states is not a wild idea, it is a good idea that could and has saved many lives. As Congress prepares to boot, to kick millions of people off of Medicaid, which includes support from both Democrats and Republicans. Yes, you heard it here on Unboss because we let you know what both of those parties are doing. Let's put up this headline, studies show Medicaid expansion rejected by GOP increased cancer survival, survival in other states. In other words, other states got that money that those selfish GOP governors didn't want. And they run for office. I mean, how can you call yourself a public servant, but you don't do all that you can with public policy to help ameliorate suffering? It just don't, it doesn't add up for me. Landmark research was published this week, which found using nationwide cancer registry data, our study shows a survival benefit of Medicaid expansion under the Affordable Care Act for young adult patients with cancer particularly among racial and ethnic minority groups and patients at risk for poor prognosis. The impact of these data is enormous for young adults who often come to diagnoses late due to the lack of cancer screening guidelines in their age groups. And thanks Aflac for that, laying that out for us. And researchers went on to calling out the following. Access to medical care for early detection and cancer treatment is afforded by Medicaid expansion programs and is critical to our advancement of care in the young population who often fall between gaps in our healthcare system. That's coming from Dr. Sharon. Uh, thank you for that, Dr. Sharon. 38 states have expanded their Medicaid programs, 11 states have declined. Let's put up these states of shame, shall we? Alabama, no surprise. Florida, Georgia, Kansas, Mississippi, North Carolina, South Carolina, Tennessee, Texas, Wisconsin, Wyoming. We see a pattern there, Adrian, a lot of southern states. 
no surprise. Research comes as federal lawmakers are working to pass a nearly $1.7 trillion, 4,155 page omnibus government funding package. If the bill passes and is signed into law by President Joe Biden, as is expected in the days ahead, millions of people and underlined and underscore bolded with an exclamation point by it and a message in a bottle on a train could lose their Medicaid coverage as early as April. So Adrian, I, I really, and I truly, I'm not trying to be sarcastic here. I don't understand how some of these folks can call themselves public servants. Absolutely, um, you know the fact is that they're not serving the public; they're only serving themselves, and they are also serving this whole uh, sense of status quo and maintaining this class divide, and ensuring that the people who don't have access to the resources to be able to prevent uh, these diseases and infections and things that they may end up developing, that they continue to stay as helpless and vulnerable as they are, despite the fact that they pay taxes. Damn sure, paying more taxes than Donald Trump. Yet still at the end of the day, they can't get those who represent them to come together and to provide them with the resources that they should have as not only citizens, but also members of the human race. It's just, it's really disheartening, especially when we look at how other nations are and the fact that we are not providing medical care for individuals when it's not necessarily tied to our employment status or in this little box that really holds us all down, especially when we're seeing trillions of dollars being spent on war. Yeah, say that again, Adrian. We covered uh, this war, amp up to war on the on boss for several weeks, and we really hit it hard this week because they gave this president 45 billion more dollars than what he asked for. It continues to grow. This military industrial complex for war making doesn't help anybody. We need to spend as much money on the domestic side of the ledger yes. as we do on the other side. It's really painful. Oh, I sigh deeply. I'm trying not to sigh, you all. COVID holiday reminder or holiday COVID reminder. So we thought it prudent just to remind you. We know people are sick of the mask. We get it, and their mask mandates are virtually over. Which you know, okay, get it. But still, make sure that you do what you can in terms of boosting and all those other things and staying six feet apart and all of that kind of stuff that you need to do. Keep yourselves safe and the people who you love. COVID is still right here, no matter what we think. Watch this. Thanksgiving travel hit close to pre-pandemic levels in the U.S. last month. But millions of Americans are now paying for all the close contact that came with those holiday gatherings. Health centers here are also overwhelmed with the flu, COVID-19, and RSV cases. After U.S. Thanksgiving, COVID hospitalizations reached their highest level in three months, with more than 35,000 patients treated. And Christmas, Hanukkah, and New Year's celebrations are just around the corner. And so it's just a reminder that the more people who are hospitalized for COVID, that puts a strain on the system. So people who need other services. So again, we definitely are all in this together. Get it, the mask thing, we got it. You need a little relief, but we still should practice, we should still conduct ourselves in a way that says we understand that we might be done with COVID, be over it. COVID is not over us. But we also wanna take a look at this chart that shows the rise in cases. There it is, up, 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 up and away. As you can see, there is a tremendous spike in cases over the past two months. 
The current seven day average of new COVID deaths is currently 386 according to the CDC. And let us not forget that over a million people in this country have died from COVID or COVID related illnesses and we didn't blink. You know, Adrian, I, I remember um, there was a pastor that was giving a sermon and I thought it was very apropos what he said when he said, you know, over a million people died in this country from COVID and uh, we did not pause for a national mourning. Yeah, and honestly, it seems very much on par with almost how we've been conditioned by virtue of the fact that we have a federal government that spends a bunch of money on war. And we have a federal government and a Congress and leaders who allow for children to be murdered in their schools. We don't value humanity. We talk a good game about it and we love to say uplifting in God we trust and push this Christian agenda and whatnot. But the reality is, oh no, we value them coins and maintaining systems of oppression, but we don't value you individual lives. And so I it seems right on par for people to kind of just keep it moving when a million people are lost. And the fact is it didn't have to be that way. Had we had the measures in place, had we enforced them steadily and readily, we would not have lost so many lives. But unfortunately, as a result of our leadership and unfortunately as well as our conditioning, I, I'm not shocked. Oh, you're right, Adrian. It, those two things go together. Our conditioning, you know, and we don't talk about that enough. We talk about the leaders, but we don't talk about our culpability in this as individuals. And you're right, it is our conditioning. And that pastor was Bishop Jamal Bryant, but it just it just hit me when he said that. It made so much sense that we did not pause for a national mourning. Now, doctors are now up against it once again. You know, our essential workers, our doctors, our nurses, everybody in the hospital ecosystem are essential no matter what they do, whether they're the ones that are bringing the food or the ones that are cleaning up the hospitals, keeping the hospital sanitary, everybody is important. The American College of Emergency Physicians has asked Americans to take precautions to limit the triple threat of respiratory illnesses, particularly on the cusp of the holiday season. As Americans will be traveling and gathering with loved ones, Christopher S. Kane, president of the American College of Emergency Physicians said emergency departments are struggling to handle the high number of patients. So let's do what we can. Again, if the hospital system is overwhelmed with COVID related things, then other, you know, somebody had a heart attack, unfortunately had a stroke, violent, you know, any other type of violence that may be inflicted on someone, that system will have a hard time dealing with those other cases because of COVID. So it's not just about COVID, it is about every other thing that animates our lives on a regular basis. So we must, all of us must do what we can. And just because we collectively feel that we've done enough, we have not, there's always more that we can do. Uh, looking at you, President Biden had this to say in September. Mr. President, first Detroit auto show in three years. Yeah. Is the pandemic over? The pandemic is over. We still have a problem with COVID. We're still doing a lot of work on it. Uh, it's but the pandemic is over. The pandemic is over, but we still have a problem with COVID. That doesn't make sense to me. I'm a quote mm -hmm. uh, Councilwoman Fannie M. Lewis like I did yesterday. That's clear as mud, Mr. President. Just does not make a whole lot of sense. Listen, people, don't listen to him on this. The pandemic is not over. COVID is absolutely still a problem. And every other thing that was a reality for the most downtrodden in this country, COVID just made it worse. 
So it's not ever going to be over in that we can flip a switch. That's that's the thing that's really getting to me. They act like we can flip a switch and COVID is gone and, and, and all the suffering that has been compounded by COVID. No, it is not over. Don't listen to him, listen to what the doctors are saying. So, and don't think that we've forgotten about what the, the US Senate just did in November. Take a look at this. More than a dozen Democrats joined with Republicans in the Senate yesterday voting to end the national COVID emergency declaration. That declaration adopted in 2020 gives the Biden administration more tools and flexibility to fight the virus. That Senate resolution now goes to the House, but its fate there remains unclear. The White House has said that President Biden would veto the legislation. Adrian, I, yeah, maybe it's just me. No, it's not just you. It's clear that our government, number one, does not take care of us. But they're not necessarily going to refrain from telling us things that aren't in our best interest. Uh, yeah, let's be real here. The fact is that we are on our own. They don't provide us with universal health care. There's no health care for all. They do not care about our health. And also, we know economically the cost of health care bills all of these things should tell us that these people don't have our back. They want us to get back into the office and to produce in some way that benefits you know, our capitalistic society and culture. So to sacrifice my potential health and to take any kind of instruction from the government would just seem to be foolish. So it's on me to go ahead and spend the dollar or two, have a mask, wear a mask, and also use proper precautions. Just like if you can or don't want to have a baby, you'd wear a condom. So if you don't want COVID, reduce your chances and wear a mask. Reduce your chances, and I get it, the mask thing was a bit much. I mean, you really got tired of that thing, even me. I get it, but get your boosters and stuff, stay about six feet away from people. Like we're just a little more casual than we were at the height of this thing. And we just gotta, gotta reel it back in. So we understand, but we're just asking you to do what you can. And Adrian, you're right, the government, they don't care. Cuz if they care, this hegemonic nation would have universal health care, especially in this moment. I mean, never let a good crisis go to waste. What better time to try to push and implement universal health care than using the crisis of the pandemic to do so, but is that what they did? No, absolutely not. They went the opposite direction, and now, you know, Democrats joining with Republicans to take away the COVID emergency designation makes no sense to me. Reminder that long haul COVID is still a force to be reckoned with. Long COVID may be the next public health disaster with a $3.7 trillion economic impact rivaling the Great Recession. Up to 30% of Americans who get COVID-19 develop long haul symptoms affecting as many as 23 million Americans according to the US Department of Health and Human Services. As for the economic impact, higher medical spending accounts for 528 billion of the total. But lost earnings and reduced quality of life are other sinister trickle down effects which respectively cost Americans 997 billion, two point trillion dollars. So all of these things are connected, understand. So do what you can, get the mask, I get it. Cause I've been slipping on my mask a little bit myself, but I have it in my pocket at all times, in my car at all times, in certain places. If you are in a place that is really, really crowded, just put the mask on. I know it may seem like an inconvenience, but the life you may save may be your own. All right, so let's do that. Let's do it. Be right back.
welcome back to the show, my absolute favorite part. But before we get to viewer comments, we have no live show on Friday and Monday in Monday in observance of the holidays. We'll see you on Tuesday, but in the meantime, catch up on the episodes on TYT. Go to tyt.com. You can catch up on on Boss and all your other favorite shows. Do that. And Brett, our very own, is on ABC. ABC the year. Need post Christmas plans? You don't have them. Brett has you covered. Join him as he recaps 2022 on ABC the year. Tune in on Monday. December 26th at 9 a.m. on AC. Do that, join Brett or, or 9, hell, I don't know if it's a.m. or p.m. You need to check that, Marissa, I don't see a p.m. or a.m. Y'all ain't gonna catch me up line. It's just, <laughs> <laughs> we need to find out, is it 9 a.m. or 9 p.m. and we'll get that back, but join Brett. All right, so let's get to our comments. Mountain Dragon, time to rock. Jam your head, pump your fist, get down, it's Turner time. With the hardest hitting intro and such a blessing to have two of the strongest, most wonderful and beautiful souls to lead us into the new year. Adrian, they talking about us, Mountain Dragon talking about us, baby. Mm -hmm. The melanin is popping today. Mm -hmm. I like it. I like it too. On Twitch, Groove Dragon. Hey, Groove Dragon, I like that name, Strong Women. Energy every time, sweet. Thank you, Groove Dragon. And on YouTube, Super Chat, G Skillet, Nina Turner, and Adrian Lawrence. Hello, somebody's. Hello, somebody. Yes. Loving that baby. Thank you all so much for your comp for your comments, and thanks to each and every one of you for for supporting TYT Network and supporting Unboss. We do appreciate you, boo, because we couldn't do what we do without you. The FTX drama continues. The FTX saga. Rages on with more arrests and more handcuffs. Now you know when white collar criminals are handcuffed, and you know it's some serious business. That's usually reserved for blue collar folks, poor people. But the latest news shows that the game has been rigged from the start. And I know for many of you, we're not telling you anything that you do not know. But for some folks who don't understand, you gotta let them know. Associates of Sam Bateman Freed pled guilty or plead guilty to fraud charges after FTX collapse. You think? Two associates of Sam Bankman Freed have, have pleaded guilty. Take a look at this. The Southern District of New York has filed charges against Caroline Ellison, the former CEO of Alameda Research, and Gary Wong, a co-founder of FTX, in connection with their roles in the frauds that contributed to FTX's collapse. Let me reiterate a call that I made last week. If you participated in misconduct at FTX or Alameda, now is the time to get ahead of it. We are moving quickly and our patience is not eternal. Our patience is not eternal. He letting them know, it, we coming for you. So don't think they're, they're, you cannot hide because we gonna find you. The criminal charges were paired with civil charges. Let's put this up according to uh, SEC's complaint. Between 2019 and 2022, Carolyn Ellison at Bankman Free's direction furthered the scheme by manipulating the price of FTT and FTX issued exchange crypto security token by purchasing large quantities on the open market to prop up its price. Thank you, Alex from The Guardian. These people are crooks, just plain and simple. And you know what their, their misdeeds have done? They've, they've hurting a whole lot of folks who could not afford it. Yeah, some wealthy folks got in on this, but there's some regular everyday working people 
who believed this stuff while Bankman Freed was trolloping all through Congress and making donations to all types of people running for office and called a genius and a darling. Oh, how the mighty have fallen. The complaint underscores the picture given by multiple investigations of a tight link between Alameda and FTX. The two companies share bank accounts and key staff members commingled funds and were both ultimately under the direct control of Bankman Freed, according to that genius. According to the complaint, despite the norm, the nominal authority of Carolyn Ellison, his sometime girlfriend. So you know what, Adrian, I just can't. So we got pillow talk going on and scheming those two things at the same damn time. Mm-hmm. Yep, and now we have handcuffs and bond. It just it's it's very interesting to me who's willing to flip first because I do think that person is particularly wise and that if they know that there was criming going on and also you know who the big fish is going to be, it's likely best to go ahead and snitch. Get shows, take care of you because they're gonna do the same thing for themselves. You know, Bankman Freed. He was in the business of doing business that was doing others wrong. And the fact that he is now been released on these bail conditions with that $250 million bond and he gets to go hang out in his parents' home in Palo Alto while everything gets put together, that tells you even though he may face consequences, he's still probably gonna be all right. And the thing is that it may not be you who is all right. So you might as well go ahead and make the deal that you can, speak your truth, and ensure that you aren't in handcuffs uh, What for a longer time than he is going to be in them. There it is, Adrian laid it out, go ahead and snitch. Snitchers mm-hmm. lives matter too, in this case you need to go ahead and do that. That is the right thing, and you're right, this is another example of how the legal system is not just by any stretch of the imagination. Because poor people would not, number one, be able to make a such bail, and number two, wouldn't be able to have such cozy conditions to go back to after they have defrauded thousands of people, causing many people to lose their livelihood on top of using that money to purchase politicians. This man donated to from President Joe Biden all the way down. He even reached his hands into the Ohio 11 Congressional District. Yeah, you heard it from me. He did. Adrian, I'm feeling all types of ways about that. You know, sometimes karma comes quick, not all the time. Mm-hmm. I mean, karma comes for all of us, but sometimes, baby, it comes quick. And, you know, they were, I mean, he was interviewed on all types of media outlets and trotted out there like he was some kind of damn genius. And it turns out he's just a crook, just plain and simple, just a straight up crook. FTX secretly advanced Alamina's a virtually unlimited line of credit funded by the platform's customers. Y'all see that underlined and underscored SEC complaint. It was a fraud, it was a Ponzi scheme, that's what he was running. And they were stealing money and their customers had no idea, but they knew what they were doing. So that makes it even worse. They deliberately ripped off folks and then used some of this money to buy politicians, which they did buy those politicians. Now, some of those politicians have given the money to charity, Etc. Cetera, Etc. Cetera. But had this man not be been caught, they would still have that money. Understand that, and that has been neoliberals, uh, uh, progressives have even taken this man's money, especially the neoliberals. And then he also admitted that he gave millions of dollars through dark money for the Republicans. He was playing on all sides, baby, because that's how you buy Congress. That's how you buy politicians. You give them all a little something, something. You break them all off a little something, something. 
so you can have so they can do your bidding. Let's go ahead and put up this headline. FTX seeks to claw back donations to politicians and charities. Collapse cryptocurrency exchange have reputation for corporate philanthropy to a tune of hundreds of millions of dollars. Yeah, they just flat out bought politicians because guess what? In the United States of America, bribery is so let this sordid tale be a reminder to us. We must do something about Citizens United. We must change the system. We must elect politicians who can't be bought. How about that? Wealth inequality at a record high. At this point, income inequality feels like an American tradition, but it does not have to be that way, I assure you. Take a look at this headline, fueling Inequality earnings of the top 0.1% in US have soared by 465% since 1979 analysis. The bottom 90% meanwhile saw earnings growth of just 29% between 1979 and 2021, the Economic Policy Institute found. Thank you, Jake Johnson. Understand this, this is on purpose. And so since the system exists like this on purpose, we can do it a different way. It does not have to be this way. How is it that so few have so much and so many have so little? It is by design. That one, that 0.1%, that doesn't even factor in the top 1%. This is absolute insanity. Here are the key findings from the EPI report first up in 2021 alone. Annual wages rose faster for the top 1% of earners and top 0.1% while those in the bottom 90% saw their real earnings fall. Not even stay the same, but fall. Top 1% earned 14.6% of all the wages in 2021, twice as high as their 7.3% share in 1979. The bottom 90% reached just 58.6% of all wages in 2021, the lowest share on record and far lower than their 69.8% share in 1979. Folks, we're going backwards. Let's take another look at this, at this. As we break this down further over the past 40 years or so, wages for the top 1% and the top 0.1% skyrocketed by 206% and 465% respectively, while wages for the bottom 90% grew just 28%. On an annualized basis, bottom 90% wages grew only 0.6% per year compared with 2.7% and 4.2% annualized wage growth for the top 1% and the top 0.1% respectively. Adrian, we got a problem and everybody knows it. Absolutely, they've had their foots on our throats for centuries. Keeping this class divide is something in which the United States is invested in and maintaining this whole 1%. And the fact is that this is all a product of deliberate policy decisions. These are creations by those who are in leadership, whether it's excessive unemployment, keeping the federal minimum wage low, workers' rights, curbing options and opportunities to be able to unionize. There are so many ways in which the system is working against the common individual who again pays their taxes and works hard, but it's they are kept down. And this is how it's done. And this is evidence of the fact that it is still very much a thing in which policymakers and those in positions of power seek to maintain. 
Yeah, they want to maintain it because they have the power and it, it benefits them. It's just like you know, by trading trading in stocks can't get this Congress to do the right thing by that. So they leave that Congress, you know, with with money hand over fist when by the time that they leave because they're making the rules and also benefiting from those rules because they trade and also their family members trade. The game is rigged. Now there are solutions to this, meaning the income inequality. Here are just a few ways in which we can stop the unadulterated greed. Let's show the ways that we can do it. Certainly raise the federal minimum wage to at least $15 an hour. And by now that's even tired, it should be if it was keeping up with inflation closer to $25 an hour. Expand the tax, the child tax credit and earn income tax credit. Create a wealth tax, hello somebody. Provide universal early childhood education, improve access to quality higher education, increase government investment in job creation programs. That is coming from the Peterson Institute. Thank you, Peterson Institute. And so many more common sense and humane solutions. This is not rocket science here. It's fitting we close this story out with a tweet that my stunt double put up. See what she had to say. I want everybody to live a good life. I personally don't have a problem with wealth. It's when the ultra wealthy use a system to keep getting wealthier while most people in this country live paycheck to paycheck. That's what I take issue with. Bold it, underline it, message in a bottle, and baby, send it on a train. We have got to do something about wealth inequality in the United States of America before it is too late. It, we want everybody to be wealthy and, and healthy. And wealth is a big thing. And it's not just money, it's your health, it's your relationships, it's spiritual, it's social, it's economic, it's political. But if you have to make your wealth the way Sam Bankman Freed made his wealth, if you have to make your wealth by defrauding people and putting your, your body and your feet on their necks and their backs, then you need to get into a new industry because you are not making wealth in a way that edifies and uplifts. Uh, any any final uh, words on, on this while we're still in this segment, Adrian? Well, I would definitely say keep fighting. You're entitled to have the same access to opportunities as others, especially given how hard you work out there. That just because this is what you may know doesn't mean it's right or it should continue. So keep fighting. Yes, keep fighting. We'll be back. Welcome back, my favorite second half of the show. More viewer comments. TYT members, Vicky, Nina, and Adrian have the have the very merriest of holidays and a blessed new year. Thanks for your voice. Vicky, thank you so much. Adrian, I really appreciate that. And happy holidays and happy new year to you and your family as well. And on Twitch, Cap Vic, Senator, great show. Please shout out for people to write their reps to amend the Air Carrier Access Act. Yes, do that. Let wheelchair users travel with dignity, amen to that. This week there will be hundreds of new cases of broken or missing wheelchairs and other mobility aids. Not to mention the lack of access to a toilet on the flight. Oh My God, Cap Vic, you are so right about that. And and those who are otherly able, you know, people forget that sometimes when you when things are right at your disposal. So thank you so much, Cap Vic, for reminding us of that. You know, I was just I was just on there because I just came back from LA and I was with there with uh, 
uh, one of my guests that we're gonna cue in, in in a little bit. But definitely, you're right on that damn airplane. Not particularly user friendly for people with certain uh, conditions. So thank you, Captivate, for reminding us of that. And on YouTube, super chat, Jacqueline, love you, Nina, my Ohio girl. Right back at you. Fuck guys are in the house. Thank you, Jacqueline. Many thanks to all of you, all of our viewers. Thank you for what you do for us. You help TYT continue to be independent, and we love you for that. We could not do what we do without you. Thank you for supporting Unboss, and thank you for supporting TYT Network. Love you for that. Do I have a treat for you? So, over the course of this week, we've been talking a lot about income inequality, war making, how funds and policies in this country do not mirror the needs of the vast majority of the people in this country. They just don't. But just because that is the reality today does not mean that has to be the reality tomorrow. As Adrian and I mentioned in our discussion, there's some type of conditioning in this country that working class people are lulled into believing that the crumbs from the master's table is all that we can get. And in many cases, unfortunately, all that we deserve. But that is not true at all. And we have to do and demand a different thing and be willing to put some sweat equity on the change that we need to edify and to lift the greatest number of people in this country. It is tragic, morally, legally, politically, and socially tragic that in this hegemon nation, so few have so much and so many have so little. And to join me in digging down into this a little further, I have two of the greats. I have two of my dear friends, the director of Progressive Democrats of America, Alan Minsky, and Dr. Harvey J. K., who's a professor emeritus of democracy and justice, the University of Wisconsin, Green Bay. How are you both doing? I'm doing fine, except for the weather outside. I'm doing fine because of the weather outside. I'm from Southern California, so I'm loving the snow up here in upstate New York with my family. Yeah, so glad you got a chance, Alan, to go and, and get a little of that, of that snow. Snow is a beautiful thing, especially if it's not a storm and you don't have to <laughs> drive in it. But Professor Harvey K and I are in the Midwest, and we are expecting a heavy storm that's hitting places all across this country. So, both of you, we've had many conversations about. The 21st Century Economic Bill of Rights. But before we can go forward, I want to go backwards. And so I'm going to toss this question to Dr. Harvey K in the house to talk to us about a time in this country where FDR did stand up. And that's President Franklin D. Roosevelt, just in case folks want to know who in the hell is FDR. Yes, President Franklin Delano Roosevelt stood up to the forces and the big money interest of his day. And the American people were on his side. And that is the blueprint for the 21st century economic bill of rights. And Professor, please also talk to us about Asa Philip Randolph and <laughs> all of his colleagues and allies who helped the they helped to shape the thing too. Yeah, absolutely. You know, the first thing to understand is that we generally historians generally underestimate FDR from start to finish of his presidency for all of his faults and failings. And, and we can enumerate those on another occasion. The fact is that he was a social democrat and in many ways a radical. He wanted to overthrow and he called on Americans to join him in overthrowing the persistent power structure, political and economic order of the late 19th century that was holding back America 
from the American promise. And in the course of the New Deal and then the war effort, Americans had developed such democratic energies that when he asked them in polls what it was they wanted after the war, the overwhelming majority, I mean, around 85% made it clear they wanted national health care, what we would today call Medicare for all. They wanted a guarantee to a comfortable home. They wanted a job that paid a living wage. They wanted free, essentially, education as far as their abilities could take them. I mean, we could go on. The point is, he proposed in a State of the Union message in 1944, confident that Americans wanted this and that they were behind him. He called for an economic bill of rights. And the response was tremendous amongst working people. The major labor unions organized in the AFL and the CIO actually launched massive campaigns to get him reelected in order hopefully to secure that economic bill of rights. Unfortunately, though he was reelected, he died within a few months after the elections. And in the late 1940s, the reaction from big business and from the whole host of conservative and reactionary forces, including Southern white supremacists, blocked the advance of that economic bill of rights. But the project, the idea was not lost. One of the most significant figures in labor and civil rights of the 30s and 40s, A. Philip Randolph, Asa Philip Randolph, the, the leader, the head of the Brotherhood of Sleeping Car Porters, the organizer of the March on Washington movement that began actually in 1941. He held on to that ideal. And in 1965, his institute, the Randolph Institute, released something called the freedom budget. It was a proposal to spend 10, now it won't sound like very much, like, you know, a certain billion numbers of dollars in order to wipe out poverty in America, to eliminate freedom from want in America. And the entire proposal, which was endorsed by 150 leading figures in the United States, that proposal was framed in terms of the Economic Bill of Rights. Now, FDR had proposed, A. Philip Randolph made it in the 60s, a vision for progressives from labor to civil rights. Martin Luther King Jr. in 1968, not long before his assassination that spring of 68, he too called for an economic bill of rights. Bernie Sanders in his 2016 and all the more in the 2020 campaign for the presidency proposed an economic bill of rights. Yeah. So our 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 idea was, along with a number of other folks around the country, was not to let the idea die. Yeah. Given what and, I, and I mean, that, you all are resurrecting this thing in the 21st century, which is you know, beautiful thing. So we have the 40s, uh, we have the 1960s, and now we're in the 2020s. And so, yeah. Alan, as the leader of Progressive Democrats of America, you co-authored with Dr. Harvey K. Of this enormous blueprint that takes shape or takes takes guidance from all of the elements that Dr. Harvey K just laid out. Why now? Why in this in this moment is a 21st century economic bill of rights necessary? Well, thanks to the 2016 Sanders campaign and the organization that I'm privileged to lead now, 
Um, our most famous intervention in American history was drafting Bernie Sanders to run for president as a Democrat. Thank uh, you. You're welcome. Uh, thanks to the leadership of Tim Carpenter, Steve Cobble, and, and the previous generation of leadership of Progressive Democrats of America. But um, we've had 40 years of whatever you want to call it, neoliberalism, or for maybe American audiences, Reaganism, Clintonism, the primary fundamental component of which is that social decisions should be primarily, overwhelmingly primarily made by market forces. We've had a 40 year experience with this. Over the course of these 40 years, even including the window where 9-11 happened and the Iraq war happened, you look at American polling and the top concern of the American public because the middle class is declining overall during this whole period are economic concerns. This has been totally dominant since the 2008-2009 Great Recession. And we are in a situation with the progressive movement being lifted up after the Sanders campaign, where the sort of top talking points that people will bring up around what do progressives support. On the one hand, there's Medicare for all, there's the Green New Deal. And then you'll also hear people cite things around you know, cancel culture and things like that, which if they have a negative take. Okay, the progressives in Congress and Sanders himself and great progressive advocates like Senator Nina Turner, you actually listen to what they say. They're talking about basically kitchen table issues of economic concerns of the American people. So the progressive movement needs to highlight and lift our economic program. And if we do so, it's our strongest electoral hand. We are in the game of trying to win political power in this country and transforming the country for the welfare of the general population, the world and the planet too. And we feel like we have the best template for that. And we do not think, Harvey and I do not believe there's any better framing advice to, to have the American people draw to these solutions that will create greater social cohesion and a positive vision forward for all of our collective efforts as a society than the 21st century economic bill of rights. It's a positive framing and it speaks precisely to the ways we will improve people's lives economically. When right now, the majority of Americans are living in a trap of economic necessity that they don't need to be living in. And let me just end with this. One of the paradoxes of the Roosevelt, anchoring this in Roosevelt, is in the, the industrialized rich countries in the world. Um, the policies that are in the 21st century Bill of Rights are largely in practice in all the rest of those countries and not the United States. Many of these countries like West Germany and other countries in Europe who had their constitutions rewritten after World War II were effectively written by the Roosevelt and Truman administration. And so where does the United States sit on social indices other than aggregate wealth, because our wealthy are so wealthy. And the United States now is at the bottom of almost every social index that you can think of. Poverty, um, health outcomes, education outcomes, homelessness, incarceration, crime rates, even families being broken up were way at the bottom. And the 21st century economic bill of rights, because you just see it, it's a fact. These other countries have these policies, they don't have these you know, endemic social problems. They're here in the United States and they're addressed in the 21st century economic bill of rights. And you know, just our hegemonic positioning makes this even more cruel. Right, right, it sure does. Poor, yeah, we're not a, a poor nation. As someone that was on that 2016 and 2020 campaign, I know we all pushed very, very hard. It was a vision that the majority of Americans, regardless of how they identify, no matter what their political spectrum, 
is we'll get with this. I want to put up a couple of things. So from FDR's Economic Bill of Rights, some of what it entails and we'll, we'll continue to talk over it as it scrolls up. And then we're also will put up the 21st Century Economic Bill of Rights as you and Dr. Harvey K has laid it out. But for FDR, you know, it sounds like, and Dr. K, you were talking about what he laid out, and we just put a 21st century spin on it, right? We got to deal with immigration, we have reform, we have to deal with racism issues, gender issues, you know, things that FDR did not necessarily highlight in his Economic Bill of Rights, but because we have the benefit of his vision and the vision of people like Asa Pill and Randolph and other leaders. We can put some 21st century on it. Now, what can people do? And I promise I'm going to have you both back, man. We just don't have enough time. But what are your recommendations for people who are feeling like this vision is reaching too high? You know, we heard a lot of that on the Sanders campaign. You guys are crazy. You're you're asking for things that will never happen. What can we do as a people to push elected leaders to have to to make some of these things reality? Because we don't have an FDR right now. Well, let's throw back, White House. Let's go back to Harvey J.K. and he can provide some framing, but that's exactly what they said in Roosevelt's time. So Harvey, if you want to just build off of that. Well, to make it as, as short as I can, because I know we're running out of time. Think about it, 1944 FDR proposed and civil rights, labor unions, even farmers movements, they all signed on and pushed for that economic bill of rights. Today, we don't have an administration pushing for an economic bill of rights, which means we have to get organizations like labor unions, national church associations. We have to get progressive Democrats of America and our revolution, a whole panoply, a whole coalition must come together in order to advance this vision in favor of legislative action and decidedly in favor of a progressive candidate in 2024 across the board progressive candidates. So I'm gonna be making an effort, Alan and I are gonna be making an effort this spring to reach out to labor unions and other progressive organizations to start embracing the Economic Bill of Rights. And at the local level, people should be getting their churches, their labor unions, their representatives to hear about this. We have to rev up to make this happen. Yeah, and you know what? I mean, and I'm I am I plan to join you all. I mean, this is something that I've been working on for a while and had the benefit of doing so side by side with Senator Bernie Sanders as he ran for 2016 and 2020. And it is what the people need. This labor movement has shown us very clearly that people will come together, whether they voted for Trump or voted for Senator Sanders or voted for some of the other folks, when it comes to making their work conditions and their wages better and more robust. I mean, we're seeing what solidarity across the one major issue that impacts us all. Because unless you got a sugar daddy or sugar mama, you work for a living. Unless you can afford to be off for months and months at a time and not have to worry about your bills, you work for a living. And so some of us may be at the top of that in terms of salary and some are in the middle and some are on the bottom, but we are all among the working class. And what better issue to bring us together than the fight for, the push for, the forging of the 21st century economic bill of rights. Alan, I know you wanted to jump in. And just I think if it could be summed up in one sentence, this is fundamentally also a return to the idea that the economic engine should not be what is motivating the investment class, but rather the idea that people who work for a living will have money in their pockets to spend in an economy and that that should be the basis of a prosperous America. 
Come on. We are talking about quality of life. Dr. Harvey K, uh, just like, give me, give me 30 seconds. 30 seconds? Well, yeah. I'll tell you this. I have little doubt that the response, if people hear about it, will be enthusiastic. We've already had a great response. The state of Massachusetts Democratic Party in convention has embraced this. Progressives who are trying their best and soon to take over the West Virginia Democratic Party will be advancing an economic bill of rights. And my state representative here in Wisconsin, up against the forces of the Republican Party in the legislature, is introducing again this spring an economic bill of rights. That's Christina Shelton. Outstanding, outstanding. And it is a glimmer of hope that if we continue to push and we continue to fight, if we don't relent, if we keep going, the progress that we need will happen even if we do not have elected leaders because the people push the policy. It's not elected leaders that usually come up with these ideas and stand up for the people. It really is the people making the demand and also making sure that there are consequences when those demands are not met. I am so looking forward to all the things that we are going to be able to do come 2023 to shake things up. Well, this is our time today. I am so happy to have two of my favorite freedom fighting champions right here on this show as we go into the Christmas holiday. I'm wishing all of you lots of love and lots of hope and lots of uplift. We know that there are challenging times for millions of people in this country. If you can be a mortal guardian angel for somebody, please do that. I'm quoting one of my dear friends, Marianne Williamson, who says that we have guardian angels, both, both mortal and divine. If you can be a mortal guardian angel for somebody, please, please, please do that. And do not hesitate to join us. Alan and Dr. Harvey K and so many others next year as we are going to shake and shape the world, this nation that we want to see. You deserve it. And don't let anybody tell you that all of your life you got to work your fingers to the bone and never get a chance to smell the roses, never get a chance to tiptoe through the tulips. You deserve that to spend time with your family to have a high and robust quality of life. Yes, you baby, you, you, you. You deserve that, all of us deserve that. So please, come on, you gotta get into this fight. And you know what I want you to do about this time. Wishing everybody happy holidays, Merry Christmas if you celebrate it. Whatever you celebrate, I'm wishing you a happy one, okay? You know what I want you to do about this time? I do want you to keep the faith. Yeah, keep it, cuz we gonna keep pushing. But more importantly, I want you to keep the fight. Till next week, take good care. Thanks for listening to Unbossed. If you like the show, then you'll enjoy our other podcasts on TYT Network like The Damage Report with John Iderola, Indisputable with Dr. Rashad Ritchie, and The Young Turks. Make sure to listen and follow, and if you like what you hear, give us a five-star rating.